On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. The more we can protect those ecosystems and accelerate them in innovation, the better off our country is going to be, both from an economic standpoint and a national security standpoint. Supporting American tech innovation is not just good for U.S. business, it's good for national security. How has inflation affected a Christmas tradition? And in our business profile, we'll hear about innovation that led to more innovation. This is the Iowa Business Report for Christmas Weekend 2021. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. The American Edge Project is a coalition of pro-business groups focused on supporting American technological innovation through free market policies and protecting our home turf at the same time. Doug Kelly is CEO of the American Edge Project. The American Edge Project is a coalition of 24 different groups who've dedicated themselves to the proposition that America's most important asset is its ability to innovate in technology. And so we do those things to raise awareness with people across the country about the importance of technology and innovation to our economy, our national security, and to our values. In one respect, that sounds pretty basic because for the past three, four decades, we've thought of computerization, we've thought of technology. It's become such a major part of our lives. But with that comes a number of things that we may not think about until it's too late. And I'm thinking in particular about security. Technology and innovation play a critical role in both our national security, but also in the security of our different companies from cyber attacks across the country. I mean, in Iowa, you've experienced a number of tough cyber attacks and ransomware attacks that are really crippling to business. Now, a lot of folks don't know this, but about 50% of businesses, small businesses actually have to deal with cyber attacks and it costs them on average about $200,000 per incident. And so making sure that our country has the best cyber defense as possible, that we're helping our most innovative companies develop new ways of protecting against those attacks, that's really kind of job one in terms of protecting both ourselves from foreign adversaries, but also protecting our domestic commerce against really severe disruptions. Now, I don't mean to simplify it, but I have said before and admitted before that I always claim to have backup religion with my computer when it looks like it's not going to boot. And I always say, I promise I'll be better, but that doesn't happen. Is there a sense among some businesses, maybe not as much now, but certainly in the fairly recent past of how bad can it be or it can't happen to me? I think everybody's seeing the light on that and realizing that it can happen to them, that it is really expensive and it's really disruptive overall. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, when you're a business, you really depend on the trust of your customers and the customers have to be able to trust your data, that they're going to get the product, et cetera. And if you're not able to keep that part of the bargain of protecting their data from leaks and cyber attacks, that's going to hurt your business in many, many different ways. Why is it important for this to be centered in or presented by people in this country? Why is it so important to have it be America-based, if you will? First of all, you know, America has built this technology edge over the years and used it to accelerate our economy, protect our country, 
but also advance our values across the globe. And we face a set of very hostile foreign adversaries, in particular China and Russia, who fundamentally don't share our values and what we believe in. We believe in an open, accessible internet. They believe in a closed and censored version of it. When we talk about accelerating American innovation, American innovation benefits every techno-democracy in the globe. And so having it here not only protects us, but it also helps our allies and protects our allied partners across the globe as well. What are some of the impediments or challenges that are in the way of getting to the place that you want to be? First, the share that the U.S. government has put into just raw research and development helps develop technology. Since the 50s, that share, the share of our economy, has dropped a lot. Now, the president and Congress are determined to start ticking that up a bit, so that's a good thing there. But secondly, there's a series of antitrust reform bills and anti-competitive bills in D.C. Their goal is to, quote unquote, rein in big tech. But unfortunately, what these bills would do collectively is they would undermine the ability to be the most innovative country in the world. And that would hurt our national security and our economy, as well as the things that value-wise that we care most about in this country. And so these bills have a real chance of passing. And while it's fashionable now to be against big tech, at the end of the day, we really have to look at everything we do through a national security lens, because with this world being as connected as it is through computers and networks, Russia isn't 10,000 miles away, right? China isn't that far either. It's literally an internet connection away. And so we have to have the very best defenses possible. And our biggest tech companies, the most innovative ones, are the ones leading that charge and protecting us. It occurs to me that we're sort of at a place where we say big tech is bad or break up big tech. And it's nothing more than a slogan, sort of like tax the rich. You have to define what rich is in order to really have this have some merit. So when we talk about big tech, who are you talking about that actually needs to be, if you will, strong, big, centralized, however you want to phrase it? Mm-hmm. What is the benefit of certain big tech entities with quotes around big tech? Specifically, some of the bills in D.C. are targeting companies like Amazon, Google, Facebook, now called Meta, and the ones that are kind of the Uber ones like that. If you think about that, we are now entering a platform economy based, right? It's not like the old days where you had these conglomerates like General Electric and their platform was essentially this super management team. In reality, what it is with places like Meta and Amazon and Google is that they have this enormous platform of data and information and tools that they plug different business lines into. As more people join those, it creates this thing called the network effect, which creates value across that entire enterprise. So that helps create lower prices. It helps gain predictability in terms of when products are going to be delivered. And it gives consumers a lot of value through both free services or really low cost products. And so the platform economy is something that's newer and we've led the globe in the development of that. Now our competitors are really trying to gain market share in that as well. But these companies are our very best assets in protecting this country's national security and doing things that would either break them up, restrict the lines of business that they can go into, or limit the amount of acquisitions that they can do of other companies. Those are really dangerous things because most of the rules that they're doing in Washington, they're trying to pass, don't apply to our Chinese competitors. For example, if a company in, let's say Sweden, 
develops a really cutting edge cybersecurity program. And these rules are in effect that said, hey, you know what, Amazon or Google and these others, they cannot purchase this company. They were they're prohibited from doing any acquisitions. Well, China could pick that up. Russia could pick that company up and, and acquire it, but we couldn't. That doesn't make sense at all. We want the very best from wherever the playing field is in the globe of technology to make sure our country is safe and secure. That's why I say it has to be looked through kind of a national security lens in any legislation that's being passed. So let me ask you, finally, we're getting near the end of 2021. You've got a nice, shiny, brand new 2022 calendar ahead of you. If we were to talk at this time next year, how would you measure success? What do you think needs to be accomplished so that you're making good strides with the issues we just talked about? I would say that we want to make sure that lawmakers don't pass reactionary legislation that hurts our biggest tech companies. I mean, I think everybody in Iowa is very aware of some of the policy mistakes that happened in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s that really damaged manufacturing in this country and sent a lot of jobs over to China. We don't want to repeat that movie again. Secondly, I would say that success would be is if lawmakers pass a series of incentives to help boost domestic production of critical core technology so our supply chain is not based overseas in Asia or China. And so that means more semiconductor development right here in the USA. We've got plenty of manufacturing capacity. We've got great skilled workers. So I would say that's the second thing. The third thing I think would be for people to realize that everyone in this country has a stake in accelerating America's technological innovation, right? Innovation doesn't just happen on the coast anymore. There's a lot of regional hubs of great technology activity that are a result of these ecosystems that bring together great ideas with investment capital, with smart workforce, as well as a supportive legal and regulatory structure. And these are places like right in Des Moines, there's a hundred other ones all across the country. So it's not just the coast that benefits from this, it's every single community in the country. And so the more we can protect those ecosystems and accelerate them in innovation, the better off our country is going to be, both from an economic standpoint and a national security standpoint. Doug Kelly is CEO of the American Edge Project, online at AmericanEdgeProject.org. We spoke via Zoom on Thursday, December 16th. Still to come, a traditional set of gifts and its costs this year and developing groundbreaking processes here in Iowa. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. Support for the Iowa Business Report also comes from Iowa History Journal. The November-December issue features stories on legendary educator Phoebe Sudlow, 175 years of Iowa statehood, and a cyclone who ran Monsanto. Get your copy at Fairway, Hy-Vee, and at iowahistoryjournal.com. We all know the traditional song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, and some folks have traditionally computed just how much it will cost your true love to shower you with those gifts. According to the PNC Bank Christmas Price Index, which was started in 1984, 
the cost of goods in the song would on average cost you 5.7% more this year than before the pandemic. That's the largest increase in nearly a decade. Roughly speaking then, 12 drummers drumming is $3,200. That's up more than 7% since it's hard to find workers. Same for 11 pipers piping at $3,000. 10 lords a-leaping will run you more than $11,000, almost 13% more than in the past. Skilled labor costs more, apparently. And to show you that the gender wage gap is alive and well, nine ladies dancing only costs $7,500, and the price for those performers has not gone up since the last survey. Eight maids of milking are still a bargain at $58 since there has been no increase in the minimum wage. Swans are hard to keep as pets, and seven swans of swimming will run you more than $13,000. Six geese laying, that tops out at $660, a 57% increase. Five gold rings are nearly $900. Good thing they're not Bitcoin. Four calling birds, a bargain, no increase from the past. $600. Three French hens? Well, the cost of egg-laying birds generally this year went up by 40%, so these hens are $255. Two turtle doves? A whopping 50% more, now at $450. And as for the partridge in a pear tree, almost $225, due mainly to the cost of the tree itself. Apparently, the higher housing market affects where birds live, too. All told, that's $41,205.58, plus tax, of course. Coming up, a unique business that reinvented an industry after reinventing itself. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business innovation, growth, and transitions. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. The Iowa Business Report is also presented by TotallyIowa.com, a website dedicated to Iowa topics, books, DVDs, CDs, radio programs, and more at TotallyIowa.com. In our business profile this week, we begin a conversation with Dr. Lou Honnery, president of Environmental Lubricants Manufacturing Incorporated. It's a very interesting story, and here's the beginning of it. Environmental Lubricants Manufacturing is the only company that I know of in the United States that manufactures only environment-friendly grease and lubricants. These are lubricant and machinery grease that normally is made with petroleum products, but we make them with vegetable oils, primarily with soybean oil. So our products are biodegradable, environment friendly, and they have the same performance or better than petroleum products, but they're all environment friendly. We have had people from all over the world fly into our facility to look at our work and learn about our bio-based products from Japan, Korea, and everywhere. And it's funny because I bring them out of the entrance of our company and point out about maybe 200 yards away, we have a soybean field right next to us. And so we tell them, we, when we say we're practically in the middle of the field, we truly are in the middle of the Iowa soybean fields. 
So how did this idea for this business come about? It's a rather fascinating story, but it also shows ingenuity in my mind. Sometimes uh, they, they say the perfect storm, right? I um, am just a, a born entrepreneur. I've always been trying to rock the boat and, and create something different than what other people have been doing. And uh, in, uh, I, I was a professor at the University of Northern Iowa for 31 years. One of my students in 1991, which is 30 years ago, wrote a paper on biodegradable hydraulic oils. A mobile corporation at the time had introduced a product called EAL224H, which was a rapeseed-based. Rapeseed is a European crop. It competes with soybean and so on in in non-food areas. So they uh, had introduced a product uh, that for the first time I, I was hearing that was made of vegetable oils and it was biodegradable, but it worked in hydraulic systems. And the student actually asked the mobile distributor to send us two five-gallon pails of the product, and we tested it in our hydraulic training units, and and it was just amazing. And I'm thinking, why nobody has done this before, or why nobody has done it in the U.S.? And frankly, we did a full research, and we could not find even one article on hydraulic oils made of soybean oil or any vegetable oil here in the U.S., So we went to Iowa Soybean Promotion Board and got a small grant to look at the possibility of making hydraulic oil out of soybean oil. And uh, we later learned that the student who wrote the paper was actually a John Deere engineer who was taking the course. And he was part of a team with John Deere that they were secretly developing the first tractor hydraulic fluid made of canola oil, which is a Canadian crop. And they had decided that soybean oil was not going to be stable enough for use in hydraulics. So they didn't pursue that since I didn't know the difference between soybean oil and canola oil and not understanding the chemistry of it. I decided, well, we're going to make it happen. And so this was really how we got it started. We were licensing these products, but the products weren't selling because people didn't know about them. And the, the companies that were getting the license from us were farmer co-ops. They didn't know how to sell liquid lubricants. And so I went to the dean of the College of Business, whom I was reporting to at the time. I said, you know, if you want to help the farmers, the only way we could make this successful is to show the petroleum industry that they can actually make living out of selling soybean oil-based lubricants and greases. And the only way we can do that is to actually form a company and make the products and show it to them that it works and show that it makes profit. Somebody is going to take it out of our hand within five years. And the dean went along and we formed Environmental Lubricants Manufacturing in 2000. At first, we wanted to do all of this as a virtual company to contract with other companies to make the grease and the hydraulic oils and so on. But uh, many of the companies we approached could not make the vegetable-based greases. Their units were not ready. They, they, they didn't have the expertise. The product would come too thin or too thick. And so we basically went and opened up a facility in Plainfield, Iowa, and uh, set up some machinery, and we started making products there. Within four years from the time we started manufacturing grease in 2002 until 2006, we were number 470 fastest growing private company, according to annual survey of Inc. Magazine of different companies. We went from 400,000 
on the first year to $5.4 million. Unfortunately, also on March of 2007, we had a fire in the facility. And the fire was due to the way we make the grease, which we heat, a heat transfer oil, they call, to five, 600 degrees Fahrenheit and pump that oil in the jackets of the vessel. This is a dual vessel built into each other with, we call it a jacketed vessel. So you have a high temperature oil that goes into the jacket of this vessel, then you cook inside of it. And that's what everybody makes the grease with. And that heat transfer oil is actually a pretty dangerous process. And we didn't know much about it. We had a 6 million BTU oil heater that was heating the oil using propane gas. We had 5,000 gallon reactors that were reacting the the lithium hydroxide and making the lithium grease. And uh, everything was very well designed. We were producing a lot of products, but in the height of the reaction at lunchtime, the line that has the high temperature oil in it, for some reason broke and created a lot of smoke. And so luckily everybody was trained. People came out of the facility, the fire department was there. But when they opened the door to get rid of the smoke is when the fire restarted and we were all standing there and they couldn't control that. And so that's how we lost it. Dr. Lou Honnery, president of Environmental Lubricants Manufacturing Incorporated online at elmusa.com. We spoke via Zoom on Tuesday, December 21st. Now all that is merely the first part of the story. There's an even more innovative and interesting tale to share as part of our next program. And that does bring us to the close of this week's program. We are back again next week at this same time. And in addition to the rest of the environmental lubricants manufacturing story, we'll tell you about how two Eastern Iowa economic development groups partnered to create a single set of legislative priorities. Again, that's next week as we start a new year and season three of this program. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 Now in All. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us. We hope you have a prosperous week and a very Merry Christmas. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.